It's the most wonderful time of the year. Chestnuts are roasting on an open fire, decking the halls with boughs of holly, and of course, violent rivalries with your neighbors and mailmen. Hey there, and welcome to a special episode of Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where we go beyond the final scene. On today's show, we are tackling two of my favorite childhood Christmas movies, Deck the Halls and Jingle All the Way, in an episode series I like to call Guilty Pleasures. The last time we made one of these episodes, I reviewed Jungle to Jungle, starring Tim Allen, Ready to Rumble, starring David Arquette, Grind, and Polly Shore's Biodome. <laughs> The original Guilty Pleasure episode was a ton of fun, and it took a lot of time to work on, and I knew I just had to do a holiday special. So here it is for you. I have an awesome show lined up, since today marks the start of my season of giveaways. If you haven't been following the show on social media, today is the first of three weeks of holiday giveaways, and you can win a $25 gift card for any retailer of your choice. Xbox, PlayStation, Steam, Best Buy, Amazon, Target, Starbucks, Chipotle, you name it. But don't get bummed out if you don't win this week. You have two more opportunities to win. The rules of the contest are simple. You must first follow the show on Instagram or X. The username is PC with Gil. So search for that on either one of the two platforms. Later in this episode, I'll be providing you a key phrase. So listen out for that. Once you hear the key phrase, it's up to you to share it on Instagram, X, or even both, and tag the show. You get one entry per social media platform, so that's a total of two entries per week. The first week's contest will end on December 9th at midnight Pacific, so make sure to get your entries in before the end of the week. I'll be sharing the name of the winner on next week's episode, and the process will run again next week for my Home Alone podcast. Limit one prize per winner, meaning that if you win week one, you won't be eligible for the next couple prizes, unfortunately. I want to spread the wealth and give it to other winners, so to speak. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. And be sure to follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe on YouTube so you don't miss an episode. On this show, we will review each film with some positives, some negatives, and I'll provide some behind-the-scenes filmmaking factoids for each movie. So, without further ado, we will start the show with my revisit of the Danny DeVito-Matthew Broderick Christmas comedy, Deck the Halls. In Deck the Halls, this holiday comedy centers around two neighbors in a small New England town who go to war when one of them decides to decorate his house with so many Christmas lights that it is visible from space. The neighborhood is turned upside down as the families try to discover the true meaning of Christmas. Deck the Halls is directed by John Whitesell, known for Big Mama's House 2, Big Mama's House Like Father Like Son, and Malibu's Most Wanted. And it has three writers. It's written by Matt Corman, Chris Ord, and Don Reimer. And the film stars Danny DeVito as Buddy Hall, Matthew Broderick as Steve Finch, Christian Chenoweth as Tia Hall, Kristen Davis as Kelly Finch, and Alia Shawkat as Madison Finch. 
As another annual holiday tradition for some households, Deck the Halls is often overlooked throughout the Christmas season. I stumbled on this movie when it aired on Freeform, or ABC Family as it was known for back in the day, about 15 years ago. I remember the commercials for this movie heavily emphasizing the clip of Danny DeVito wanting his house to be seen from space. <laughs> that was that was pretty much a hook for me. Danny DeVito is a national treasure, and even in his shittiest movies, Danny is always a high point. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, when I first thought about reviewing these two movies, I completely forgot about the twins connection. Today we are reviewing a Danny DeVito film and an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. <laughs> I did not do that intentionally. I did not think about the movie Twins, but it just so happens that we do have these two stars in these Christmas movies. <laughs> Quite a coincidence. Now, Deck the Halls was never one of my personal annual traditions, but I remember I liked it a lot when I was a teenager. The things that stood out to me were the light ceremony that Buddy puts on and the speed skating competition. It has been a while since I last watched this movie, so this revisit was one that I was really eager for. How much of it did I forget? Was there a reason why it is not regarded as highly as Jingle All the Way <laughs> as one of the best, worst Christmas movies of all time? Or were the critics correct all along? Now I'm going to preface this review by acknowledging the elephant in the room. Deck the Halls is one of the most critically and commercially panned Christmas movies ever made. As of right now, Deck the Halls is sitting at 6% rotten on the tomato meter with critics, and only 30% of audiences enjoyed this movie. So going into this rewatch, I knew I had a turd on my hands. And in a few minutes, we'll look at some of those critics and audience reviews to compare them to mine. I think Deck the Halls is a serviceable movie to throw on television while the in-laws are visiting. It's neither offensive, nor is it a movie worth really paying attention to. There are a couple hugely comedic moments sprinkled in. For example, there's a scene very early on in the film where Steve is strung along a runaway sleigh ride, and he ends up falling into a frozen lake, where Buddy, Danny DeVito, has to rescue him. Buddy pulls him out of the lake, undresses him, then proceeds to warm Steve's naked body with his own naked body. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, man, the visual of a naked, hairy Danny DeVito sensually rubbing an unconscious and naked Matthew Broderick is pretty fucking hilarious. <laughs> it almost feels like a skit out of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The way it plays out and the way Steve screams in terror... It's hilarious. And that was kind of where I went all in on this movie. I was like, okay, if we get more scenes like this, we're in for a treat. Now, the buddy and rivalry between Buddy and Steve can make for some great hijinks, but I don't think there's enough of it, sadly. Like you'll see in some of the critical reviews of the film, this movie has some extremely mean-spirited moments. Moments like where Buddy deliberately cranks up his lights and music till 4am on purpose just to piss Steve off. Or in one sequence in particular where Steve buys illegal fireworks in hopes of destroying Buddy's Christmas lights, which could possibly also burn Buddy's house down, but they kind of gloss over it with a line or two. The two men are caught in a perpetual Christmas-themed ego-measuring contest, and neither is willing to back down. I can see how a lot of people will turn away from this movie for its mean-spirited nature, 
While these two men are acting like children and looking out for their own good, their families are stuck in the crossfire. Steve's family is highly neglected and is practically just there to be his trophy family. Steve's only motivation with his son, daughter, and wife is to force them into holiday traditions that they don't want to do. Even something as mundane as Carter, who is Steve's son, asking to go Christmas shopping with Steve is seen as a chore to him because it's outside of their holiday tradition. Steve's negligence of his family makes him a shrewd and hard character to root for in all of this mess. Buddy, on the other hand, he is an innocent as well. Buddy is a silver-tongued people person. His plot to make his home visible from space is only driven by his desire to be the center of attention. He gives no mind to his neighbors or his wife. In fact, in the middle of the movie, towards the climax, he begins selling his family heirlooms just so he could buy shit like reindeers and Christmas lights and a manger for his display on his front yard. Now, I just remember when I was younger, I was wrapped up in the Buddy versus Steve hijinks a lot more. But now looking at it as an adult, I don't think that there's enough here to justify my initial liking of this movie. I think this movie was much better served when I was younger, when I didn't see these kind of character flaws and the writing and all this stuff. The scene that kind of best summarizes my emotions towards this rewatch comes about 50 minutes in. The two men are forced by their wives to get along and talk out their differences at the Winterfest Festival. While they're surrounded by all their neighbors and friends, the two married men begin cattle calling on a group of young girls dressed as sexy Santa Claus dancers. They begin to shout from the crowd things like, Oh, is it hot out here or is it just you girls? And then Matthew Broderick nails the punchline when he screams, Who's your daddy? Only to discover that the girl he was screaming at was his own daughter, Madison, and also accompanied by Buddy's daughters. The scene is uncomfortable for sure, but I think it comes back around and becomes funny when they smash cut to the two men washing their eyeballs out in the church, and they both say that they're going to hell. I kind of like that. But the reason why that scene is kind of emblematic of this movie is because it's just so weird and awkward and mean-spirited and Matthew Broderick doesn't even look comfortable doing the, the bit. It wouldn't be that big of an issue if there were more comedic bits like this in the movie. The comedy in this movie does not come in bunches. It's pretty stale throughout most of its runtime. One or two good comedy bits don't make this a genuinely good Christmas movie and not one that I can really recommend either. For me, what makes a good Christmas movie is the cathartic resolution. Many holiday classic movies are about Scrooges, idiots, and non-believers becoming good people by the end of the film. And the character arcs and lessons learned from those movies are what makes classic Christmas movies endure the test of time. Things like It's a Wonderful Life and The Santa Claus. Sadly, I don't think this movie quite sticks the landing in that department. The two men are so far gone in their rivalry that they have led their families to abandon them on Christmas Eve, which I do not blame Kelly or Tia for at all. These men are fucking crazy. (laughs) And it's all resolved in a matter of minutes when they finally bring them back together for a final Christmas dinner together to show that Buddy and Steve have resolved their differences. The movie gets extremely cheesy as the entire city comes to redecorate Buddy's house. They sing Oh Holy Night and the house gets seen from the space satellite. The ultimate lesson of the film is to let go of your obsessions and embrace the spontaneity of the season. 
enjoy the time you spend with your neighbors and family. And I think that's a good message, but I don't know. I just don't believe that these guys became good people at the end and everyone just kind of accepts them for what they did. They did a lot of shit in this movie. They burned down a Christmas tree lot. They went ice skating and rampaging through a neighborhood. Buddy steals an SUV off the lot of his dealership. The one scene that I didn't like especially was the scene where Matthew Broderick actually goes covert ops and tries to shut down Buddy's lights. He ends up in a pigsty with a camel and the camel spits on him. And eventually Buddy finds out what Steve was planning to do. I don't think it's as fun as I thought it was when I was a kid, sadly. Now, of the four movies in my previous Guilty Pleasures episode, there's only one movie that I disliked upon my rewatch, and that was Biodome. I hate Biodome now. I loved Biodome as a kid, but I hate that movie now. And with Deck the Halls, I don't think it belongs on that list. Now, I didn't like it, per se, but I also didn't hate it, so I'm happy to announce that Deck the Halls does not get added to that list. And as I mentioned at the start of the review, I think you can genuinely enjoy this movie. There are a couple good laughs, a colorful, bright Christmas aesthetic, and Danny DeVito doing his thing, of course. But I wouldn't call this a Christmas classic. The film has some major flaws with the Finch characters. And although I do like Madison and Carter, I think Steve and Kelly are not very good characters. And the performances of Matthew Broderick and Kristen Davis get greatly outshone by Danny DeVito and Kristen Chenoweth. The screwball dichotomy and formula here of Buddy and Steve aren't as well done as, say, Del Griffith and Neil Page from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's a lot more mean-spirited and a lot less heartfelt. If your family needs to throw on a movie to silence the kids or the in-laws, Deck the Halls is now streaming on Hulu, so it might be worth checking out for you. Unfortunately, I have to give Deck the Halls a middling 2 out of 5 rating. It doesn't hold up like I thought it would. So now we get to the part of the review where I showcase some differing opinions. I will now present to you a couple 1-star and 5-star reviews for Deck the Halls. At the top of the episode, I mentioned that critics rated this film 6%, and their consensus says that relying on flat humor and a preposterous plot Deck the Halls is an unnecessarily mean-spirited holiday movie that does little to put viewers in a holiday mood. Causal R reiterates what the critics say and rips into the movie by saying, When people say this is one of the worst movies of all time, they really mean it. Deck the Halls is a painfully unfunny Christmas comedy with terrible characters, abysmal writing, hypocritical message, and stupid conflict resolution. One star. Ooh, that's pretty condemning. (laughs) Adrian B's one-star review follows Kazal stipulating that this movie is so forgettable and boring. Going into it, I thought it was going to be decent, but that's not what I got. It's boring and the jokes are stale and the acting is not good. Nothing special and like I said, forgettable. One star. That was the most shocking part of the revisit for myself. I really thought there were more jokes to this movie than what there were. Lost in the shuffle between the Christmas light antics, Steve really was not doing anything to add humor to the movie. Buddy alone carries this film, and it's kind of sad. But to cleanse the palate, I'm going to give you a couple five-star reviews, just to balance things out. It's not all doom and gloom on this show. For example, Emma C. chimes in and says that Deck the Halls is a staple of their family. She writes... I think these other reviewers watched a completely different movie to me. I love this. 
about a refreshing change to find a Christmas movie that was actually about Christmas. I don't mean in a Santa Clausy way, but most of them are just love stories that happen to be told at Christmas time and have nothing to do with Christmas itself. This movie includes family traditions, making time for each other and the stresses we all have, no matter how small or large, for Christmas and trying to make it perfect in our own way. Some of what happens is a little extreme, but remember folks, it's just a movie, it's not real. Lovely Christmassy fun with familiar faces and gave me that warm fuzzy feeling. Perfect with a hot chocolate and a blanket to snuggle under. I like this review a lot, and I think Emma does make a good point about this movie focusing on the Christmas tradition wrinkle. A lot of films either go the Santa Claus route or the presents route, but this movie focuses on the family dynamic more than anything, so I'm glad she was able to find some joy in that. It's definitely different than some of the other Christmas movies that come out around this time. Now, maybe it's a testament to how hated this movie is, but I was struggling to find many five-star reviews. The only other one that I can reference comes from Mike A, who says, A Christmas tradition to watch, confused by the Grinch-like critic responses. They need to get some holiday cheers and lighten up a bit. Well recommended. (laughs) And there you go. (laughs) It's rare to see when audiences mostly agree with critics in a film's negative reviews. But there are people out there who unapologetically love this film. And before we move on to the main event, let's take a look at some behind-the-scenes filmmaking factoids for Deck the Halls. This first filmmaking factoid is about Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick had to train with a real speed skater for a few months beforehand for the scene in which Steve and Buddy are in a speed skating race. So that is actually Matthew Broderick performing those stunts. Kind of impressive. And he actually looks natural doing it, so I gotta give him credit. (laughs) Oh my god. This next one's pretty insane, but take it with a grain of salt. According to gossip, the main actors were unhappy on the set of this movie. Kristen Chenoweth was still coping with her split from Aaron Sorkin. Danny DeVito flew in to film his scenes rather than interact with anyone. And Matthew Broderick could be found on set shaking his head in disbelief, repeatedly stating, I've hit rock bottom. Now, I don't know if this is true, but if it is factual, wow. (laughs) (laughs) that is crazy dude holy crap in an interview on abc's live with kelly and mark kristen davis confessed she had been nervous being cast as the wife of matthew broderick since matthew broderick was at the time the real life husband of her close friend and sex in the city co-star sarah jessica parker She said that she received approval via email from Sarah Jessica Parker. However, not before a rewrite of the script added what Davis termed a playful kissing scene between herself and Broderick. Apparently, and according to Davis, in her opinion, the scene as filmed was too steamy for the film to keep a PG rating and would have to have been cut from the final print. I think that's crazy because I completely forgot Sarah Jessica Parker was married to Matthew Broderick. I failed to make that connection when I watched this movie. That's cool. (laughs) And now our final factoid is one that I was really curious about during the finale of the movie. Danny DeVito's house used LED lights to provide remarkable displays not possible with traditional Christmas lights. Otherwise, the lighting could only be done by special effect computers. The lights from Boston-based Color Kinetics formed a digital skin around Danny DeVito's house 
acting like pixels on a TV screen, and at one point, the roof of Danny DeVito's house turned into a live video display of Danny DeVito's face. When I watched that scene, I was like, how the hell did they do that? I was trying to pinpoint whether it was special effects or not, but apparently from this factoid, they were not special effects. It was actually mini LEDs that were strung along the house to give the impression of a video screen. That's pretty damn impressive. (laughs) And if there's anything to take away from this movie, the Christmas decorations that you see on Buddy Hall's house are actually pretty awesome. (laughs) And with that, we officially conclude my review of Deck the Halls. If you've seen it, let me know what you think of the movie on social media. And it's finally time, folks. The moment you've been waiting for. Let me warm up my vocal cords, prepare my bad Arnold impression, and let's get to Jingle All the Way. Alright, let's kick this thing off with our season of giveaways key phrase for the week. If you wish to enter the giveaway, share the show with the phrase, It's Turbo Time, on your post. Make sure to tag PC with Gil when you do it. And remember, you can tag on both Instagram and X for two entries. Now in Jingle All the Way, a father vows to get his son a Turbo Man action figure for Christmas. However, every store is sold out. He must travel all over town and compete with everybody else in order to find one. Jingle All the Way is directed by Brian Levant, who is known for directing The Flintstones and Are We There Yet? The movie is written by Randy Cornfield, known for Eight-Legged Freaks, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Howard Langston, Sinbad as Myron, Rita Wilson as Liz, Phil Hartman as Ted, and Jake Lloyd as Jamie. Now this is a holiday tradition. Jingle All the Way is a favorite of nearly everyone I know, Family, friends, coworkers, you name it. I haven't met a single person that has said, oh, that movie is awful, but in a derogatory way. Most people that mention the atrociousness of this movie immediately follow it up with, but I love it. <laughs> that movie is awful, but I love it. <laughs> Sometimes in life, you come across something you know is poorly made, not good for you, but you can't help but enjoy it. Like McDonald's. People will eat a quarter pounder or Big Mac every week and think none the wiser about it. They know it's dense with calories, cholesterol, and harmful chemicals, but they continue to eat those burgers because it's what they know. It's comforting, and they enjoy it. Not every meal or movie needs to be a lean, health-conscious salmon fillet with accoutrement. Once in a while, you have to treat yourself to the fattest fucking triple cheeseburger with chili cheese fries and an extra large soda. Jingle All the Way is the heart attack burger in a bun of movies. And once every winter, I can't help but nestle down by the heater and treat myself to this movie. Because it isn't good. I know it. You know it. Hell, even the crew that made this film knew it. But it's just a pleasant, hearty, 4,000 calorie burger served up for your holiday spirits. I look at this movie the same way that I look at Batman and Robin. I can watch it hundreds of times, turn off my brain, and just have fun with it for a couple hours. 
And because of that, this movie has served my household for many, many years, and it wouldn't be Christmas time without it. This is one of those rare movies that I know is on a streaming platform, but I had to literally go out of my way to purchase it physically on disc. In the event of an apocalypse, this may be one of the 10 movies I will keep with me. It is that essential to my holiday traditions. I love this movie. (laughs) Oh, man. The last time I did a Guilty Pleasures episode, I made it a point to rewatch each of these movies from a critical, analytical, and non-biased point of view, and to challenge myself to look beyond nostalgia and memories, see the film for its merit, and perhaps look inwardly into the way that my tastes have evolved over the years. When I fired the movie up this week, I hunkered down to view Jingle All the Way from that mindset again, but for the life of me, I just couldn't. From the second Arnold says, Remember, you're my number one customer. I was all in. (laughs) Now, Jingle All the Way may be a stupid, wild holiday comedy, but in theory, it's also a social satire about the dangers of American commercialism and the impact it has on the vulnerable minds of the impressionable youth. It deals with the harsh realities that society can crumble and collapse in on itself when the laws of supply and demand bleed into the socioeconomic fabric of our company. Two men must tread the psychological line between neighborly fathers desperately trying to help their child and prime evil barbarians quick to turn on one another. I'm just joking. This movie doesn't need to be looked at any deeper than its surface level. (laughs) It's not that deep, folks. Although, some people will say that this movie is a satire, and I could see that. Arnold, as Howard Lang, must get a Turbo Man action figure for his kid on Christmas Eve, while another desperate father, Myron, played by Sinbad, tries to thwart his every attempt. Howard Lang is more of a businessman than a family man. His devotion to his work and his lifestyle causes him to become an absent father to his son, Jamie. When Howard misses Jamie's karate promotion, he must make it up to Jamie by promising him that Turbo Man figure. Looking back on this film and the early Black Friday crazes in America, it's wild to think that people actually used to get trampled to death for Christmas sales. I don't know if we'll ever get to that insanity level ever again. The most recent product launch I could think of to rival the Turbo Man action figure are probably the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. From 2020 to 2022, you couldn't find them anywhere. Scalping was running rampant and bots would buy them up before legitimate customers could get theirs. It was mostly digital, so the analogy isn't as relevant to the movie. But I think it's the closest we'll ever see again to people angrily fighting one another for a chance at a product. Now on top of fighting Myron for the last Turbo Man in town, Howard must also have to deal with his neighbor Ted, played by the late great Phil Hartman, who is moving in and putting the moves on his wife Liz while he's away. Ted's a complete tool and creep, and Phil Hartman plays Ted to perfection. He gives Ted a sleazy neighborhood handyman vibe, picking up on all the single women in town. He has his sights set on Liz, though, because she's the one woman who won't give in to his charms. She's the one playing hard to get. (laughs) The real fun of this film 
comes from watching Howard scramble around from toy store to toy store, only to get laughed out of the building and thwarted in every attempt. But we get kicked off in a huge way. The antics start with the introduction of Myron. Myron starts us off on the right foot. Sinbad is absolutely insane in this movie. In just his first scene, he shouts, he complains about conspiracy theories involving the government, he whines about his child and his ex-wife, and then he proceeds to choke an innocent old woman in front of everyone. (laughs) And that was only the first scene. We see him later on threatening a radio station with a bomb, using his mailbag as a weapon, and then finally dresses up as Turbo Man's nemesis Dementor and takes Jamie hostage, even pursuing him to the top of a building and attempting to kill him. (laughs) Myron's actions are that of a literal terrorist, and it mostly comes unprovoked too. (laughs) Every time Myron and Howard manage to put aside their differences, Myron quickly turns 180 degrees and betrays Howard at any chance he gets. Now, I think we could maybe look past all his crimes and maybe sympathize with Myron if the film gave us a glimpse at Myron's child, you know, maybe introducing why Myron is so desperate and why he's so crazy. Instead of just telling us that he has a kid, I would have liked to have seen Myron with this child at some point to maybe humanize him a little bit. But strangely, because we never see his kid, I like to think that he maybe doesn't actually have a kid and that maybe Myron is just a schizophrenic mailman and he's doing this all without any rhyme or reason. <laughs> let's let's go with that. Let's say he doesn't have a real kid. <laughs> let's not beat around the bush. Howard isn't much better than Myron himself. He displays a short temper and a lack of street smarts, bumbling from one circumstance to the next and ultimately goes from one bad thing happening to another It's one of those classic cases of everything wrong that could happen does happen. Now, the one thing that everyone brings up whenever you mention Jingle All the Way is Arnold's one-liners. And Arnold gives us a lot of them in this movie. Let me play for you two of my favorite quotes in the film. The first one follows a call he sends to Liz, where he discovers that Ted is swooping in on his wife's cooking. Hi, I... Ted? Howard! Hey, buddy! How's it going out there? Everything okay? Yeah, fine. Uh, Ted, I need to speak to Liz. Uh, Could you get... Mm. Oh! Howard, excuse me, but your wife's cookies are out of this world. What a... Who told you you can eat my cookies? I'm just helping Liz out a little in the kitchen. She's making up a storm here. Ted, I need to speak to my wife. So could you get her on the phone, please? I think she's in the shower, Howard. Do you want me to go check? No! I mean, no, that's fine. On your way out, just tell her it would be a few minutes late, but you shouldn't worry. Oh, she won't worry. I mean, I'm here and... Mm. Oh, these cookies! I gotta get the recipe from Liz. Put that cookie down! Now! Put that cookie down! Now! Is an absolute all-timer, man. <laughs> it will go down forever in Arnold's legacy as one of his best movie lines of all time. Who hasn't tried their first Arnold impression with this quote? Or, get to the chopper! (laughs) I always love to just throw a random impression out there. 
Put the cookie down now. What is he doing with my cookies? <laughs> it's just so much fun, man. <laughs> Try it. Take a moment to yourself and do your best Arnold impression. Whether you're driving on the freeway or cleaning your house, take a minute. Do your best impression of doing the put the cookie down quote. I'll wait. <laughs> now, the other clip I want to play for you is one that I really hold dear. It was originally going to be the key phrase for the episode, but I decided against it for obvious reasons. Take a listen. I'm not a pervert. I just was looking for Turboman doll. So, in this scene, Arnold has a horde of mothers attacking him for nearly choking a little girl for a raffle ball. And while they're all turning on him and calling him a pervert, he drops this dime. I'm not a pervert! I was just looking for a Turbo Man doll! <laughs> uh, yeah, originally the key phrase for the episode and the giveaway was going to be, I'm not a pervert. <laughs> but I quickly decided against it. Because... I wouldn't want anyone to blast that quote out of context on their social media page. <laughs> it's ridiculous scenes like this that make me love this movie more and more each time I watch it. And pretty quickly, I'm going to run down some other things that Arnold does in this film that I don't have time to elaborate on. Things like him knocking over a police officer's motorcycle. Him breaking into Ted's home and attempting to steal his son's Turbo Man doll. He cold cocks a reindeer, causing it to moan like a human, then proceeds to get the reindeer drunk. <laughs> I know that's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> then in the finale of the film, he steals the Winterfest Turbo Man prize and gives it to his own son. Ultimately, he commits breaking and entering by flying a jetpack through a family's home while they're praying for dinner, <laughs> and he assaults the actors pretending to be the danger patrol on the Christmas float. Oh man, the hijinks are just insane in this movie. And Oh, and then another one, and this one's really quick. There's a shot in the diner scene when Myron and Howard are having a heart-to-heart, -heart, and Myron expresses that he doesn't want his son to grow up without a doll because he remembers the disappointment that he had as a kid. So Howard has a quick glimpse into Jamie's future when he imagines Jake Lloyd sitting at the bar dressed as a mailman, pounding down a flask of booze. <laughs> Dude, that scene is hilarious. And I don't think Jake Lloyd gets enough credit for his role in this movie. He's a good young actor in this film. Despite being a little bratty and whinish, he is a good actor. And it's sad to know how much pain and turmoil he's gone through in his life because of his role in this movie and The Phantom Menace. But before we get to my rating, there's one giant scene, and I do mean giant scene, that I've yet to discuss. Let's take a moment to appreciate Jim Belushi and the Big Show's appearance in this movie. In Howard's desperation, he turns to a corrupt mall Santa who is manufacturing and selling counterfeit Christmas toys. Jim Belushi's appearance may only be brief, but he ate the shit out of the scenery in every moment he's in. His sarcastic delivery of the line, No! Chocolate kisses! Of course dollars! 
is deliciously evil and hilarious. Just look at the way his face wrinkles when he says it. (laughs) A brawl then breaks out where Arnold faces off against 50 Santa Clauses of every variation too. Short, tall, acrobatic, old, you name it. It all comes to a head when Paul White, the big show, squares off against him. And Paul White ends up punching a little person, Santa, all the way across the room. (laughs) The scene is so insane. If you were to show a person who has never seen Jingle All the Way one scene from this movie out of context, this should be the one scene. It captures the spontaneous ridiculousness of the story and the tone of the film. This movie is just a crazy fun time, not to be taken seriously or ingested in a meaningful way. Arnold is at his peak comedic ability, Sinbad is over the top and annoying, and Phil Hartman slyly steals each scene that he's in. If I were to rate this movie subjectively, in my heart, it's a 5 out of 5. But given the amount of ridiculous logic and mean-spirited humor, it's very much a 1 out of 5 in the critical department. But I look past that. Make Jingle All the Way a holiday tradition in your home. It's the perfect blend of humor and absurdity to complement all the other feel-good films of the season. And before we wrap up this special episode of Post Credits, let's look at the critical reception, the audience reception, and filmmaking factoids. On Rotten Tomatoes, Jingle All the Way is sitting at 20% rotten with critics. Their consensus says Arnold Schwarzenegger tries his best, but Jingle All the Way suffers from an uneven tone, shifting wildly from a would-be satire on materialism to an antic slapstick yuckfest. Audiences also peg Jingle All the Way with a rotten rating. Audiences' reviews are sitting at 39%. And here are a few examples of the negative stigma that this film gets. Dominique S. on Rotten Tomatoes gives Jingle All the Way one star and says, I think it's a stupid movie, man, in all caps. No other further comments, just get straight to the point. And Dominique, if you're listening to this, you're right. It is a stupid movie. But it's fucking fun. Jacob B.'s review pretty much plays out my wildest nightmare. I've always been the kind of guy who prides himself on the movies I watch. Whenever my family wants to come up with a recommendation or something, I, in my heart, want to show them a movie that I think is exceptional. But I never throw something on for my own particular taste because I know they're either going to zone out or they're not going to watch it. So I try to refrain from my own personal recommendations for shows and stuff. I don't like to recommend movies while I'm with my family because I know my tastes strongly differ from theirs. And Jacob B., in his review, stipulates why he'll never be given the television remote ever again with his one-star review. He writes, I watched this with my fiancé this past Christmas season because it was a Christmas staple in my house throughout my childhood. I told her it's fun and she'd enjoy it. Once the movie ended, I wondered if I'd ever be able to choose a movie for movie night again. I don't enjoy reviewing movies poorly, but I'm not sure what Judgment Day would like for me if I didn't leave an honest review of this. I think it's very bad. It wasn't the fun type of bad either. It was simply bad. 
I still gave it a star for nostalgia and another half star because the mailman has a few funny lines. One and a half out of five. It's especially worse when you watch a movie that you know in your heart you enjoyed, but the rest of the people around you hate it. And it's for that reason I don't ever share my personal tastes in a family setting with other people. If I were to throw on uncut gems for my family, they would forever shun me for putting that movie on and would never let me touch the controller again. And I feel like poor Jacob is going to have to relive that and sit with his choice to show this movie to his family since they didn't like it. But hey, they all can't be winners, right? Let's balance things out. Let's take a look at the side of the argument that says this movie is so bad it's good. Here are the five-star reviews. Stephen L. literally writes my review for me with his five-star review. Here he goes on to say, Growing up, this was my go-to fun, high-energy, laugh-out-loud Christmas movie. The scene of Schwarzenegger flying through the family's window as they ate dinner was something I cackled at over and over again for decades. It's the most lighthearted and borderline substanceless Christmas movie there is. But it's nostalgic and entertaining, and for that, I'll always love it. Besides, if you haven't been quoting, Put that cookie down! for the past few decades, have you really been living anyway? It's turbo time. Five stars. Hell yeah, Steven, let's go. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Joshua H. chimes in with our final review of the night and says, A movie that knows how stupid it is and plays into it, allowing it to be ridiculous, over the top, and entertaining while still having some heartfelt moments. If you take this movie seriously, you will not like it. But if you just want to have fun, This is the best Christmas movie possible. It may be a stupid movie, but Arnold Schwarzenegger makes it work, allowing it to probably be one of my favorite Christmas movies and a hilarious watch. Five stars. Way to go, Josh. Both of you. Nailed it right on the head. It's stupid, but it's stupid fun. (laughs) There were some audience reviews from Rotten Tomatoes. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from different perspectives. I like to balance things out here in the show. Now for our final segment. Let's look at some filmmaking factoids and call it a day. Here's a great one involving Home Alone director Chris Columbus, who was also a producer of Jingle All the Way. Columbus wanted Joe Pesci to play Myron originally, but he was deemed too short for the role. He would look awkward at 5'3", standing next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was 6'2". Imagine how different this movie would have been if it was Arnold Schwarzenegger versus Joe Pesci. (laughs) Kind of interesting. But you know what? I do see Joe Pesci in the Myron role. I think he would have been awesome here as well. And since, obviously, Joe Pesci has rapport with Chris Columbus off of the Home Alone franchise, I think they would have made it work. They couldn't have got it wrong with Sinbad or uh, Joe Pesci here. I mentioned earlier in the episode that the current day version of this shopping fiasco would be the PlayStation 5 Xbox Series X shortage in 2020. But did you know that this story is based off of the 1980s shopping frenzy over the Cabbage Patch dolls? It's wild to think that those dolls caused such a frenzy back in the day. However, when this movie came out, it perfectly encapsulated the craze that was going on with Tickle Me Elmo in 1996. So there's a bit of parallels right there between the story that the movie was based off of and the reality that they were living in in 1996. 
Now, I mentioned that there was a little person that got punched by Paul White, the big show. That little person, Santa, was actually a very famous actor at the time. The little Santa that Paul White punched was actually Vern Troyer, a.k.a. Mini-Me from Austin Powers. To coincide with the release of this film in 1996, Tiger Electronics released an official Turbo Man action figure, which has become a rare collector's item in this day and age. And then, bizarrely, in 2021, Funko released more toys based on this film, such as a replica action figure seen in the film and several pop figurines. And this final factoid is my favorite of the night, because I never knew this movie had a post credit scene until today. If you watch this movie this holiday, stay through till the end. The extra scene at the end credits was written to set the stage for a possible sequel. I don't want to spoil what happens, but it is fantastic, and I can't believe I never knew about it until now. (laughs) And with that, my friends, we have come to the end of my Guilty Pleasures holiday special. I would like to thank this community for listening and supporting the show this year. We are only 23 episodes in, and I have some big plans for us coming up in 2024. Make sure to get your entries in for the Season of Giveaways contest over on social media. Once again, The Twitter and Instagram handle is PC with Gil. I will return next week for my Home Alone trilogy review. Thank you for listening, you filthy animals, and go catch a movie.